We have uh, talked last week, we're going to talk this week and a couple more before we jump back into the book of Matthew. We're walking through the story of Jesus through the book of Matthew, one of the four Gospels that does that. We're going to do that for quite a while because we think it's important to embrace, immerse ourselves in that, in Jesus, learn from him, then live like him. Um, we cannot be him, but we want to learn to live like him and embrace those things that he wants to do not only in us, but outside of us and in the life of a community of people. But we're taking a break to talk about the church, and we want to build something that lasts. So a lot of what we talk about is the culture that we want to create. It's not some detailed teaching on what the church is, was, or should be, but there is some of that for us. So some of these are big, vague ideas. We're not stripping things down to the complete foundation per se, but we are looking at the foundation, then building up from there and saying, hey, what if we lived like this? What if we took what we were, knowing that, uh, that doesn't have to stay that way. Um, and we can look at who we are right now, but that doesn't have to stay that way. We know what we should be becoming. Uh, when we look at what Jesus has declared to us, laid out for us, um, then we see something that we could be and become, even though we aren't that right now. You may even come and feel like that. Um, you may need your life stripped down to the foundation, even just a whole redo, not a remodel, a whole redo, right? Where you can't just take it down to the studs. You got to go down to the bedrock of who you are, what you're all about to be able to let God then build up from there because what you built will not last. And that could play out in many areas of life. That may be the case for your marriage, with your kids, in your job, whatever. You may need to take those areas of your life and just kind of strip it back down to what is the bedrock? What am I basing everything on? Build up from there because it's not working. It will not work and it is not going to be sustainable the way you're going. It could be that way with, your, with again, the way you're living your life. Um, and one of the things that uh, we learned, and it seemed to be a theme at this conference, so Grant, uh, Charles, Brent, and I, uh, the four pastors, went down to uh, Sacramento area to a conference, a leadership conference. And from the moment the first speaker got up to the very end, one of the things that they talked about was the inner life. I'm kind of paraphrasing the inner life of us as leaders, how important that is. So the first guy talks about sin, the sin of ache, and there's a story in the Bible where he hides his sin, but then he's exposed. They had to get to the root of what the problem was to be able to fix and, uh, and, and then, you know, go to greater heights as a community, but there was some root problems. Even wrapped up, uh, and, and throughout the, the couple days, that's, that was kind of the theme for leaders. So some of us in here, the way we're living the way we're not living, marriage, job, family, and then even us, what we're looking at is a church. We may need to ask God to go to the root of what is going on so that we can build something that lasts. And so that's what we're looking at over the next few weeks. What are the things that are important to us? We won't give all the details, maybe. We won't get into it real deep but we will give you some things that we're thinking about, working on, and then how we want to live, how we want to operate. Now, the church as a whole, this is very general, broad, and big. The church as a whole has had some issues in the past, and we still deal, we'll deal with them in the present. 
So when you look at it, and there's a lot behind this, and what I want you to do is I, as I mention some things that are kind of real general and broad, I'm wondering what your experience with the church is like. So some of you come and your church experience has been great. I laid out some things last week. I'll probably continue to talk about it as we work through this. But some of us, the experience that we have had with the church, and even saying that word church, what is it to you? You really need to think about that because one of the things that God might need to kind of strip down to the bedrock is what is church to you? As we look at scripture, we're going to talk about that. But you've got some hurts from the past that have dictated some regrets, some pains, some struggles with past experiences of the church that have caused now your experience currently with the church to be painful. There's a lot of things that can come out with that. Part of our struggle is with history, where Christianity, through hundreds of years, maybe you could even say thousands, has been something that is known for forcing people to believe. And I don't even know if it's believe. It'd be more like live a certain way. So some of the history of Christianity is forced upon people. You will live this way or we will kill you. We will imprison you. We will torture you. We don't like it today when we see other religions doing that very thing, but the history of Christianity, we have a lot of that in our history as well. I even think there's times when maybe we don't do it as a church in the sense of I'm going to kill you or I'm going to you know, do something to you physical, but there is almost a death that happens spiritually, emotionally, that can be abusive to people because the leaders of the church live that way and try to put it then on you. And it can become an, a history of violence in a sense. So part of the struggle with church is history. We're kind of battling against history where we got to look and go, hey, what was is not what is and what is right now even isn't what we are becoming. I don't know what your history is with church, but I want you to think about that a little bit some of it has been the problem of, and some, some of these are the hurts and struggles, the abuse of money, power, and people within the church. So how many times for hundreds of years and now even currently today, we see some of the struggles that, that people have with church is the abuse of money, the abuse of power, the abuse of people. Even in simple ways, it may come across sometimes, so forgive me, but we use guilt a lot of times to get you to do what we want you to do. One of the greatest ways to do it is to tell you, put little pictures of our kids from the kids' ministry up here and tell you that if you don't help our kids out in some form, you're going to go to hell. <laughs> now, that's taking it to an extreme, but I wonder if that's what you think in your mind sometimes. Like, if I don't do this, the pastor or pastors have told me this is important, then I'm going to be punished in some way by God because you look at us and say, hey, he is a spokesperson for God. So if he's saying it, telling us to do it, we better do it or we're in trouble. And then we feel like once we got you, like, hey, just sign up. Just try it one time, one time a month, man. You'll be good. It's not, that's not true. Once you're in, right, you're never out, okay? We will find you. 
you leave the church, I will tell another church. Get him in the nursery. You know, whatever. It, we make light of it, but that's, that can be truth a lot of times. So instantly you go, where are they gonna try to guilt me into doing something for them? I told you last week, it's one of the things that I, I struggle with in the past is to try, and, and that's one of those, those foundational things where the pastor ultimately is trying to get you to help him do what he's called to do. And so I wanna build a church and ultimately the root, some of the root things that I'm dealing with is to look good in the community, to have a bigger place, numbers, all these things. So what I do is I try to get you to help me do what God has called me to do and I leave you out of the picture completely except just your, hey, help me. That's not what we're trying to create here. If you hear that from me, don't address me out loud in here, okay? That's not the biblical way to do it, okay? But you can't come to me privately and say, hey, Ron, you talk about this all the time, but listen, I wanna challenge you because this is what it comes across like. That's not what we wanna create. We wanna be so in love with Jesus that we wanna do these things because we feel he's called us to do them, and I want you to do what he's called you to do. I like that. If we have that kind of community, we're not gonna be... Well, we may have to push a little bit and let you know the need better, but we should have people that are just embracing where God has them. If anything, we gotta help you discover your gifts, find out who you are, have some self-awareness, and then you just jump in. And there are times when you just jump in because it's a need, but ultimately it's like, hey, what's God called you to do? Let's help you do that and embrace that, love it, and enjoy it. That's what we want. And that could be anything. It could be a lot of stuff going on on a Sunday, but it could be a ton of stuff more going on out there every day of the week. We have issues with the church because of persecution. I don't think it's as bad in America, you know, as it is in other countries at all. There's some serious stuff going on in other countries where people are dying for their faith today. This is not something in the past. It's something in the current future current and future. Persecution, sometimes we think the church should be more about politics and there are times where we need to stand up for something. Sometimes we have problems with, uh, we've dealt with this with racism still today in the church in various forms too, lots of different ways. Legalism. I, I really, this is still a struggle for a lot of us in the tradition that maybe we've experienced. We even have probably in seven years, we're still a new church, but we still have like some traditions that get created. Then it brushes up against it and people go, well, we've never done it that way before. Like we're seven years old. We don't really have a lot to, you know, but we do at the same time. But tradition, when tradition becomes greater than Jesus, it's a serious problem. When we start messing with your chairs, it's an issue right? I don't know if you notice this, but a lot of you sit in the same place every week. What if somebody next week sits in your spot? What will you do? Oh, I see. I saw some people doing this. Don't, don't do that. These are big and small. When we use manipulation to guilt and shame you, I talked about that. I think a lot of times there are things done in the name of God that have nothing to do with God. So I wanna really rethink that as we move forward in the life of journey and the church as a whole and in your lives. 
that sometimes we do things in the name of God that have nothing to do with God at all. If anything, it's the opposite of who God is. A lot of atrocities have been done in the past in the name of God, but he was not in that. He was not there. He's only helping people now getting healed from that. And there's a ton with that. So one of the things I want to do just real quick is say I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what we have done to you. Because a lot of it falls on us as leaders. We can't blame a building for that. We can't blame someone else or you. So I'm sorry. Because if you're here today and you're dealing with hurt from the past and it has to do with something in the church and leadership, and that's real, I'm sorry. I really am. I don't want to be a place like that. I don't want to be a part of a place like that. And I can't handle it either. I got my own hurts. I got some serious church history. So the first thing I would want you to know today is that the foundation of the church is Jesus. I said this last week, but I came from the approach that really it starts with you as the individual. I think the foundation of the church, because we'll talk about this a little deeper as we go along, but the foundation of the church is Jesus, but it starts with you because where is your foundation? So if we all start from this place where the foundation of our lives is Jesus, and we build a church on that, wow, we're a bunch of Jesus people. We'll have to deal with all this stuff. It's still real and happens, and we all struggle with various things, but we must be reminded the foundation of the church is Jesus, and this is, this is something then that will create something that will last a long time. This is Matthew 16, 13 through 18. If you know this story, many of you are familiar with it. It's very common, uh, commonly talked about within church. Um, I've taken many people to this place in Matthew 16, Caesarea Philippi. So I've been to Israel, you know, 20 some, 30 times. We always go to the spot, Matthew 16. Um, talks about Caesarea Philippi. It's up north in Israel. Um, and when Jesus took his group of followers, men and women, up north, uh, this was not a little like half day little trip. This was probably days. Um, I love that. Just to pause here for a moment. I love that about Jesus. One of the things that I think uh, we forget is he spent followers in various forms. So some of it was, can you imagine just walking with him and experiencing life with him? When you're walking days up to a place, you're seeing <clears throat> the surroundings. You're engaging with people. You got smells and you're eating together and you know, all the other things you got to do together. You're hearing, man, all the stuff that goes on. Like, I just rode uh, for, you know, uh, hours and hours on Friday night to Saturday morning, all night with three other guys, Charles, Brent, and Grant. What do you think it's like with four dudes in a car for five, six hours? Just imagine that for a minute. Stinky. I didn't ask for like, like gimme stuff, you know? But that is a word that could be used. And it wasn't me. But I love this about Jesus because when he goes up to a place like that, please imagine in your mind, they are spending days going to a place. That experience alone with him is what we want to create. I don't know about the stink. Yeah, stinky, it's stinky, but... We walk with him, we, we, we experience, he points things out, 
We eat together, we laugh together, we cry together. All this stuff, man, is so amazing. So he goes up there, he takes them up to this place in Caesarea Philippi that is just uh, elaborate at that time with, um, with uh, like all this stuff to other gods. They'd sacrifice people there. It was to the god Pan. There was all this stuff going on up there. I don't want to get too detailed in it just for the sake of time. But he goes up there and it's a place where they would bring all these different offerings people would to different gods. They would have their own experiences up there with all this stuff that's going on and debauchery and all this. Jesus takes them close to that place and he asks them some questions. He says, he asks his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? Me, who, who do they say I am? And well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets going down the list. So people are saying all things about you. All sorts of stuff about you. They think you're someone, obviously, a prophet, someone well-known, someone who's got a lot to say, someone who's maybe close to God. Maybe you're one of them returned. They're saying all these things about you, and uh, he asked them, because this is his real question. This gets to the root, the foundation of where their life should be. See, it does not matter what others think of Jesus. We said this last week, this is the same thing today. What matters right now is what you think of Jesus. This is an important question for all of us 2,000 years later. This matters to the foundation of your life, but also the church. But who do you say that I am? He asked them. Simon Peter, one of them, Peter's always, you see throughout the stories, opening his mouth, saying things out loud, good, bad, ugly. He just lets it out and he says, this very grand statement though, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. That is a big statement. That is foundational. This is gonna change his life. He's embracing that, learning that. And Jesus replies, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you, you did not learn this from any human, human being. Now I say to you, this gives a little bit of his new identity. When we give our life to Christ, there is a new identity that we gain. We are someone different. We are part of something different, something bigger, grander. He says, you are Peter, which means this rock, your statement. I will build my what? Church. Church. Upon that statement of who Jesus is, to him I will build my church. This is important for us to ask and answer as a church, but even more, as I said last week, you. Who is Jesus to you today? This is important. On this rock I will build my church and all, this is how big it is, all the powers of hell will not conquer it. That's a big statement. Nothing can penetrate. Nothing can destroy that. Other things that we have done in the name of God that probably have nothing to do with God at all, that can be destroyed. That causes confusion. That has caused hurt, pain, and death. This, the enemy cannot tackle that. That's foundational. That goes deeper than even just a statement made. It's the way we live our lives. And he said, I'm gonna build the church on that. Yes, Peter. Who is Jesus to you today? It's a great question you should ask yourself. If that's the only thing today that you get, if that's the one note you write down, if that's the only blank you fill in, 
It's worth it to think that through. Who is Jesus to you? Is your life falling apart today? Has everything else kind of made it worse? Is something not working? Do you keep trying whatever it is for you? What if you built your life on Jesus, the son of the living God? This is a personal statement and declaration, and this is a declaration for us as a church. If we are gonna go past today and build something that lasts, the only way that it will stand strong, not a building, but us as a community of people, is if we build the church on Jesus, period. The moment we veer from that foundationally, because there's a lot of other things to talk about and do and experience that go along with that. If we don't do that, then we will have something that falls apart very quickly. We believe that Jesus is the hope of the world and that the church, the church is his plan to live out and share that hope. This is what we want to build But let me give you something that Jesus sees the church as. One of the things that I wanted to do is kind of give you a a picture um, of what uh, the writer writes in Ephesians to a bunch of followers of Christ and says, this is what Jesus thinks the church is like, and this is what it should operate like. Gives us some clues and hints, and maybe you can think about this in your small group a little more. What does this mean? What does this look like? Especially if you come from a hurt marriage or a brokenness with it. This gives us a picture of what should be, could be, and supposed to be. It's found in Ephesians 5, 25 through 30. The writer writes about the church, and he includes this, this whole picture of marriage, husbands and wives in here. Look, let's look at what it says. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ what? Love the church. We're supposed to love like Jesus loves us. That's how we're to love our spouse. That's a big deal. He gave up, practically, he gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean. Look at what he's doing for us, the church, and in turn, we're to do that for our spouse. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. Well, these are big giants. This is a sermon series on its own. But I'd love for you to think about that during the week. What does that look like? What does that play out like? And hey, how am I doing this in my marriage? That's good for me to hear. My wife's sick today. I left her with seven dogs. (laughs) Five of them were outside, two inside. One of them wanted in, but she's not allowed in because she will drive her nuts. And uh, it's just a whole big thing going on. Just leave it there. Luckily, there's only four puppies, not 11 anymore. But when I get home, because I've been gone for three days, drove all night, got no sleep for the past two. I mean, I'm lucky to be even be up here and standing at the moment. I will want to go lay down in bed for the rest of the day. But I will have to now deal with this scripture. (laughs) We are confronted with this right now. Maybe you look at your life. What, What would it do to our 
let's just pause on that for a moment. What would it do to our marriages if we lived this way? Where I constantly give up my life for the other. I told, I did a wedding yesterday. And um, one, of the, one of the last things uh, that I told him was, I challenge you guys to outserve and outlove the other one. But I'm the hypocrite standing there going, I challenge you to do this. And I'm telling them while I'm doing that, like, oh, wow. <laughs> I, at the conference, one of the guys said, and I used it in the wedding today, I mean, yesterday, he said, our I do's should turn into, when we look back at our marriage, I did. What if we did this? And then what if we did it? If this is how Jesus cares for the church, what if we did it in our marriages? What if we did that with one another in this setting, in this life, around the world even? To make, why? People holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. God's word in the past has been used in an abusive way. What if we did it to help clean people, make people holy, wash them in this way based upon what he said? Man, there's just so much there. He did this to present her to himself as what? A glorious church. He doesn't do it to punish us, hurt us. He does it because he wants us to be glorious. He looks out at us and says, I want the best for them. Wow. Without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. She will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows his love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it just as Christ, there it is again, cares for the church. For we are members of his body. There's just so much there. What if we lived this way, loved this way, forgave this way? Jesus' bride, he loves the church. He wants to clean and make it holy and wash it because he wants it to be glorious. It even changes how I look at discipline. Hey, God, you want me to be glorious. So when you do things it's doing it for me, not to me. We love as Christ loved the church. It's so much in there. I love the experience of the wedding yesterday. I love, um, I'm not even saying who it is. Uh, I did not ask for permission to share, but it was a great, great opportunity for me to be a part of something and see God's work in their lives. It was fantastic. Very small setting, beautiful place out on uh, South Stage, beautiful day, and um, I loved it. Let me just tell you a couple quick things because I think it applies to the church a little bit. One, they did something that I think was a real stretch for them. They, they came down the uh, walkway on the lawn there and they danced to this song, and uh, I thought it was really cool. Now, I would never do that because I didn't want to look foolish, but... but uh, I thought about it like, wow, maybe it shows us something about how we operate or don't, you know? But I loved it. And why? Because it kicked right off the bat and it was unique and creative to them. I like that. They did something that was an expression of not only maybe who they are, but who they want to become. 
And they entered into this time, and I preached at them for a little bit, and I really loved it because I was able to share some things. I got a new little thing I'm doing for some weddings, and it came from, from there, uh, the talk with them. And we talked about the difference between a contract and a covenant and how this covenant comes from God and the covenant they're making and the beauty of that. And then we, when we talked about that, we recognized that Jesus has made a covenant with us and we make a covenant with one another and what the rings mean and all this beautiful stuff. I thought it was awesome. The preacher was great for about 15 minutes. You know, it was just... <laughs> and, uh, and then they took communion together. And then it wrapped up and they're going to go party, unique to their family and friends and them. I like that. Because the, the, the church, when we look at the church... Um, we see the creative ways that we do community together. I think that's acceptable and fun. I don't think we're trying to be like everybody else, nor they, they shouldn't try to be like us, right? So there's the unique creativity to how God has like, built you and, and created you and all this. But when it all comes down to it, there was one thing that was central to it. That's why I, I love when people do communion, if they're believers, at at uh, weddings is because communion is one of the things. Now, you could do it in various other ways, but it establishes what will be and who will be the foundation of this marriage. I like that. So they did that. I love it too because then I'm able to pray with them. So I always do communion like where I go, here's what I want you to do. I'm gonna come. I'm gonna pray with you. Everybody's watching. You're seeing visually who and what is gonna be the foundation of your marriage. We're talking about if we're gonna be able to forgive, it's gotta come through Jesus because I'm not able to forgive like that. All this beautiful stuff. I'll tell the people. Then I'll step back with them and I'll pray with them. Just say, hey, God bless them and I'll kind of give them some instructions. And for the first time ever, Possibly as, well, I should say the first time ever as a new couple, you know, together, I tell the husband, you are leading communion. And I step off to the side. It's your first act of something in a servant's way, right? You give communion to your spouse. You publish this. You pray. I don't know how to pray, man. You'll figure it out, all right? <laughs> in front of a whole bunch of people. It'll be all right. <laughs> but I'll, I'll tell him, this is your first opportunity it is messy to establish who and what the foundation is for the rest of your lives so that you can look back one day and go, I didn't just say I do today, I did. And it's so important when we look at that. I love that because it shows too how important all this is to the church and how important it is to one another. All right, for the last little bit of time then, I wanna talk just for a minute then, if this is how the church, like we recognize, these are all the hurts and this is a lot of stuff going on. This is gonna be the foundation. This is how Jesus feels about the church. It's a big deal. Let's look a little bit at what it looks like. This is a very common set of scriptures that we uh, have used many times before. We'll always come back to And again, it's a whole sermon series on its own. So it's just kind of a big, broad, general idea of what it's like. But it's found in Acts 2, 42 through 47. I want to talk about it for just a few moments and then give you some thoughts. And then uh, we'll get out of here and go try to practice and live this way. Acts 2, 42 through 47 says, all the believers, so here's what's happened. Jesus has lived his life. He's died on the cross. He was buried, rose from the grave. He showed now that he's alive to a bunch of his followers. And he gives them some last minute instructions before he goes into heaven. And one day he will return for his bride, right? He gives some last minute instructions. Hey, listen, go out, disciple, baptize. Man, I'm with you. And then uh, he takes off. The believers are filled with the Holy Spirit. 
this presence of God in us, working through us, and they begin to gather together. So one of the things right out of the gate that believers did is they decided, hey, this isn't an individual thing. We do this together. Why? Because, wow, this is, this is who Jesus is. This is how he showed us how to live, right? This is how important it is to him based upon not only what he said but what he did and how he lived with people. And now he's told us to go do it. Hey, you know what we should do? We should get together on a regular basis. This is so important. We learned from Jesus we're not to do this alone. This is a community thing. So Acts 2, 42 through 47 says, all the believers then devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, all this teaching that began to go on from what Jesus taught. They devoted themselves to fellowship. They would gather together, share meals together. You know, one of the greatest ways to get to know somebody is go eat with them. Plus, for me, it's just a special thing anyways. Some of the greatest stuff that we just did over the past three days is we ate together. We ate together a lot. (laughs) You get to know one another. You experience something that's enjoyable together. And all that goes along with that, they fellowshiped. There's a lot more to that. They shared life together. And they shared in meals, including what we'll do today and we do every week almost, every week of the year as we take communion together. Why? Because we remember something in it on why this is so important and who is so important to us. Including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. So they devote themselves to teaching, fellowship, sharing life together, doing life together, and to prayer. As a result of that, So they gather together, they're living this way, it's so important to do. It says, a deep sense of awe came over them all. These people are amazed. They're in awe. When they live this way, things are happening. God's moving. They're experiencing people getting hope and help and life transformation. And the whole atmosphere of the place changes when we live this way, love this way. What would it do if we did this here in the valley? What if you did this in your home? Would your home, let's break it down to that even. Would your house change if all of a sudden, let's just put it in the family context. I'm leaving some of you out. I understand that. But even in your family context with your kids, if you have kids. What if, okay, the kids saw the parents living this way, loving this way as we read then in that, as a family, now these are for believers, I get it, and there's a lot of issues that we need help and healing. But what if they saw us like, hey, we're gonna, we're family, that, that we, we're gonna invest in God's word. It's gonna cleanse us, it's gonna give us hope and help. What if we just fellowship together, we do stuff together, we do life together as a family? What if we shared in meals? I told you, Man, last, about a year ago, when we talked about our kids' ministry, we talked about this guy did a study, and one of the greatest problems that has created deeper problems for the family is that they don't, now you take this where, however you want, they don't eat together anymore. What if you even just said once a week, once a day, whatever, it doesn't, don't, don't compare yourself to someone else just for you. What if you just said as a family, we're gonna eat together? You go out, you go out. You eat at home, you eat at home, whatever, Hey, once in a while, we eat together. We talk. We leave our phones somewhere else. 
What if you did that? Do you think it would change anything? What if you, especially I want to challenge the men, the dads. We've talked about this before. I think one of the things that really needs to, that we need to work through and, and help with is dads. And in some cases, if you're a single family mom, probably it's going to fall on you to play both parts. It's tough. We want to come alongside you in that. And whatever that looks like for dads too, you know, all, all this stuff. There's a lot to this, I understand. But what if you just led your family in a prayer once in a while? Hey, Ron, I don't know how to pray. I already told you I got an answer for that. Jesus gave an answer for that. Just read the Lord's Prayer to your kids every day. <laughs> it's okay if it's messy. God, he has heard a lot of stuff from me. A lot of language, a lot of messiness, a lot of dudes, <laughs> lots of stuff. It's all right. He, I believe, just loves that you talk to him and that you talk to him about those that you love. I think he's all right with once in a while if you just go help, help me. And I'm a dad or a mom and I'm struggling. I, that's good. These are great things. What if we did that, man, as a family or as a home? And if you're married to someone and they're not a believer, do it in your creative way. If you're single, you got a lot more praying, huh? Like, I just want a spouse, you know? I need God send someone to this church. Come on. You know, I don't know what it is for you that you need to pray. But what if we did these things in our context? Would it change anything? Okay, so then out of that, a deep sense of awe comes over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. So there's miracles going on. So I think the whole atmosphere changes. Things are changing. And it says, all the believers met together in one place. This is the beginning of a, let's gather together and shared everything they had. What if we even did that? I don't like that part. I don't want to share my stuff with people. You break it, man. I don't like it. But I read the stuff and I go, would it change anything if we learned to share? And they shared everything they had. They sold, it's crazy, they sold their property and possessions and shared the money with all those in need. These, these are amazing things. But please keep in mind, this is a result of the foundation they had their lives on. They didn't just naturally do it. So it goes back to that foundation. But when they did, says then they would worship together at the temple each day. They met in homes then. It took, they took it at a level deeper that we're trying to do here. So you're gonna hear from us next week. You're gonna hear it constantly. It's the culture we're trying to build with our notes. Why we have the small group questions in there. You all got them today. Why you can do them on your own. We wanna create a culture that naturally you maybe just start investing in a small group. We believe it's important. There's a lot of creative ways to do that. We've offered a bunch here. You could still sign up for them. There's other ones as well. Maybe you have certain things that you go to, celebrate recovery and some different other groups that are studying different portions. Maybe it's a, uh, portions of the Bible. Maybe it's a group outside of journey. I think it's all good. But it says they met in homes for the Lord's Supper, shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, here's the result of all that then. So it kind of goes down as a result of this. Here's what happened as a result of that. Look at what happened. And in the end, it says, each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. 
There's this idea in there that if we base our lives, our church on these foundations and we go from there with the things that he says are important to him and why, when we understand that, listen, I don't have to worry about church growth and the latest techniques, though some of them are good, some of them can be used in a great way, but it says, then the Lord, oh, Ron didn't have to add them. No, the Lord added because of this stuff that was going, ah, just awesome. Father, thank you that in my own strength, I don't have to try to create something that's attractional to draw people in and then trick them and manipulate them into stain. But that God, as a result of the way you created the church and the way you love and care for it, it says, something glorious, our people just wanted to be a part of that because you were already speaking to their life about something they longed for. So here's a few things out of that before we wrap up and head out of here. One, the church, this is foundational. The church is a people. It's not a building. The church is not a building, a weekly gathering, or a program, but a community of people who find their identity in God, build community around that identity, and go out into the world to live that identity. This building will not last it's not going to last for us because of the fact that we don't own it, and it is going to probably be turned into something else. So what do we do? Suddenly, if we're not careful, we think the church is a building. And if we don't have a building, then we don't have anything. That is some wrong thinking. A building is nice. At the moment, it feels good in here. Right? The AC's going. You feel all right? Okay? If you got a complaint, save it to the end. Write me a note. It's pretty good. Building's not too shabby. We got a big youth room back there that's kind of crazy in there, but man, we got a lot that we can, we want to fill it with youth. Got some kids stuff up there. We've been creative with the rooms up there. It's not too bad. The parking, it's all right. I'm sure you got some complaints, but it's pretty good. But this is not going to last. You know what lasts? It's people. So when I look back at the scriptures we already read, it seems to me that Jesus seems to care about people. That all the things they do for church, it's all about God and people. People last. Buildings don't. May we be a community of people that build something that lasts because we have the foundation of Jesus and we make it about people. The church is also then a place. If we started with the people, we can now say place because place is a gathering and community of people just like we saw in Acts 2. The church is a place to belong. And one of the things that I want to emphasize that we see in here is that people have a longing for belonging. Now, we've talked about this before in here. That, that people have a desire to experience God, not just be told what to believe about God. They want to experience a community of people where they feel like they belong. In fact, some have said, I did not come up with this. I think some studies have been done that there's oftentimes when people belong before they even believe. Believe. 
Like they belong somewhere and eventually they get saved. They want to see what's going on or they have a longing for something that they're not getting from somewhere else. And they're not ready maybe to surrender their life to Christ to make a decision to follow him, but they love the fact that they have found some connection, some people that welcome them, some people that believe these certain things to be true about God. And so they belong before they even believe. I found that to be true with many people. So I wonder if we're giving them something to belong to, something that we're thinking through, that I'm thinking through, because people long for a connection. So the church is a place to belong. The church is also a place then, a people, a gathering of community where we engage with God and one another. So one of the things that I think is very important, this is probably the biggest thing today over the next few minutes just to really focus on that, give you a couple more things, but the church is a place where we can engage with one another. Um, I think the church should often be where we rub up against one another. Not necessarily physically, but that can happen too. But also just in various forms and ways. We can't do it alone out there often. But this is a place where we can come and in various forms. I know that this can't be expressed extravagantly at times, but we can serve and be served. And I don't just talk about Sunday. I mean a gathering, a community of people. It could be a small group. It could be other events or things that we do. But when we gather together as a people of God, not necessarily in a building, but it is Sundays, we rub off on one another because we're serving and being served. So one of the greatest things that I could encourage you to do is find some way in a week to serve. On Sundays, there's lots of opportunities, and it's pretty easy to get involved. There's something for everyone, really. There really is. But there's also plenty of things to do out there that you could get engaged in, because then you'll rub off on one another. It's a place where we can love and be loved. I want a place where I know that I can come, and everyone out, th- everyone out there can hate me. But when I come here, you love me. (laughs) But shouldn't it be a little bit of that? I'm kind of joking. I think I'm very lovable, so it's easy. (laughs) But I think that we should have a place where you come and you go, go, you know what? I just spent a week at work. I just dealt with a whole bunch of people on the the road. Even even for for some of you, your home life. But I know that if I get around these people, they will love me. And they will love me despite what happened during the week. Because it's also a place where you can come and forgive and be forgiven. Can you imagine that? If we were a community of people where we're rubbing up against each other and you gotta forgive. It's what God commands us to do. And there could be a lot of work through that, but I know maybe at times someone will walk through this with me because it's hard to forgive based upon what someone has done. But I can also not only forgive, but I can be forgiven. Like I come and I know they love me and they will forgive me. 
place where you can give and be given to, where you can heal and be healed, where you can celebrate and we will mourn with you. In this room today, there are people that can rejoice because yesterday someone got married. There's also someone this week who's lost a loved one. And we know that we can come and we don't have to pretend because a lot of times we just want everything to be happy and everyone to be happy. And we know that we can come and we can celebrate with you, but we'll also cry with you and mourn. We can learn and live the gospel. This is where we engage with one another. I was listening to a podcast uh, just the past, this past week and this gentleman uh, is well-known in certain Christian circles, and he was a leader. Then he became an atheist. He just had a real bad experience with church, and he turned from God, and he declared that he didn't think he believed anymore. One of the things that he did after a period of time, he goes, you know what, I need a break. So him and his family took a break from church, he says. And then he felt that things needed to change. So he decided to step back into the church. And uh, part of the story is that because of his well-known, you know, who he was in the church, um, they made him a deacon. (laughs) And he said, okay. And he also was struggling with even believing. But one of the things that he said that was good is he was forced to rub up against all these people very things. And eventually what it did is it brought him back to the Lord. Now, I don't encourage you to be a deacon if you don't believe, and I don't know if you you know, could make it through the process maybe, but I would challenge you if you're here today and you don't follow Christ and don't believe, I'd love it if you'd still come around. I hope that we are and are becoming a people that will rub off on you. I hope because maybe God is working in you that as your heart opens up to him that you don't have other choice. Like we've loved you so well and forgiven you so well and mourned with you and cried with you and celebrated with you that healing happens. That you see the gospel living out. That you see us living the way that Jesus declared. When we do this, when we engage this way, we experience Jesus and it empowers us. For the church then is a place where we gather around Jesus alive and the new life he offers. And so our hope is that in somewhere in there, you gain new life as well. And we gain new life and we live this way. That Jesus works in and through us when we gather. This is even why I could say all are welcome. Whatever you believe here, you're welcome to come. So what if we were devoted to these very things that we just read about? So we, again, go back. Foundationally, Jesus, he thinks this is a big deal and it matters. And he puts it in the context of bride and love and glorious and all this. Then we see some examples on how to live. That naturally drew people to God And then in that, we engage with one another so much with teaching and fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer, learning together, new identity, living out that identity with new habits and new ideas and new things. 
that we then turn into a place, this is the last thing uh, the worship team can come, that the church then turns into a place where we invite others to come and see. Hey, why is your life like this? Well, come and see. This is a story of Jesus in John 1. In John 1, one of the gospels of Jesus, Jesus has been traveling around and he is inviting his disciples, his first followers, to journey and do life with him. He invites them into relationship with him, and he, on multiple occasions, says to them, hey, come follow me, and they go, well, hey, talk to me a little bit about where you're staying and what's going on, and he says these words, come and see what I'm doing. And we come to this portion of scripture where a bunch of guys have followed him, and it says that Philip went to look for Nathaniel. Philip, one of the guys, looks for for Nathaniel and told him, we found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus. He's the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, and this is all, now this is history. This is some of the baggage that they're carrying. Nazareth, what could anything good come from Nazareth? I don't know what that would be compared to around the valley. I always want to say white city, but then some of you live there and you get, like, white city, Jacksonville. What good can come from Jacksonville? <laughs> And he says to him, even with that baggage that he's carrying, well, come and see for yourself. Do you, do you believe, like, if we live this way, love this way, experience God the way heard, wouldn't that be something natural that we would go, like, they might go, like, why do you do this? And, and you could go, well, come and see. Why? Because you know that even though we are a mess in here and we're dysfunctional, we know that we are a great group of people that love Jesus. Come and see. Because I know that when I bring them, all you are is a bunch of people that you've built your life on Jesus. And even those that are here that don't, they're welcomed and loved. That I know and I can invite anyone to come and see because we are a group of people that forgive and love. We are a group of people, man, that serve. That are part of healing. I know that if they got something to celebrate, we'll party with them. But if they're hurt and they've had loss, we'll mourn with them as well. We don't avoid it. We embrace it. We're with you. Could you imagine that? Wow. Come and see. He says, come and see for yourself as they approach Jesus. said, now, here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. How do you know about me? Nathaniel asked. Jesus said, I saw you because you were searching me under a fig tree. There's a whole story behind that. But Jesus saw him under that fig tree before Philip found you. And as Jesus declaring to an individual, I saw you, I know you. I even know your baggage and hurts and pain. Come home. And he experienced Jesus, and in turn, he says, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. Ah, what if, man, we live like this, look at the result of that. I believe there's a lot of people out there that need to hear this truth about the church. Stand with me, will you? If you're here today and you don't follow Jesus, my invitation is always come, follow him. Let's do it together. 
If you follow Jesus, then our challenge today is to begin to embrace the very things that he expressed about the church with one another. That it's not a building, it's a people. A people that gathers in a place once in a while on Sundays and throughout homes and, and, and places, coffee shops and stuff throughout the community during the week. But this is what we want to do. This is what we want to build. And I challenge us to do it even more. If you've been hurt by the church, I'm sorry. But there is a heavenly father who loves you and wants to heal and help you from that. He sees your searching, your seeking, your pain. He recognizes your baggage. When you say even, can anything good come of this? He says, oh yes. Come and see. And so Father, today, man, I pray for those that are far from you to step closer to you. Those that are ready to give their life to you and come and follow you. And those of us that follow you to embrace these very things that you say about the church and how we're to live and be on Sundays, yes, but all throughout the week. May we go from here today and live that out. Live these things out. And when we gather on Sunday, may we celebrate it even more. May we rub off on one another these very things of loving and serving and giving and healing and celebrating and mourning and forgiving. So thank you, Jesus. And now we celebrate together. We practice today one of the very things that has been going on for 2,000 years. This element, this act of communion, we do it together today to recognize who you are and what you've done for us. You are our Messiah, our Savior, the Son of the living God who died for our sins, shed his blood because a price had to be paid for sin. You paid it by giving your life. You laid down your life for us so we could be a glorious church, glorious people. So we remember that through drinking the juice and taking this piece of bread. We rub up against one another in all of that, all the messiness of life. Man, we lay our foundation on you and this communion time is a moment to share that together. So thank you. And we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Communion's in the back, the front. If you need prayer, there's people standing against the wall that'll pray with you. <clears throat> Take communion. I'll come back after we sing and wrap us up with a blessing.